Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. And welcome everybody back to Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed. Been a while. We've been focused on focusing on getting the film series done. 9-11 crime scene to courtroom. Lots to report there. We'll get to that um, later, hopefully. Um, we have an incredible guest on our podcast today, Mr. David Chandler. Uh, and uh, I'm going to bring uh, my wonderful wife, Gail, on if she's back. She's had a, a set of emergencies uh, today, and we're going to see if she, my lovely lady's back. Are you there, Gail? Yes, I am, Richard. Thank hey. you. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Isn't it great to be back on the air again? Oh, my gosh. It's so wonderful. It just I know it's been a long time, but it just seems like yesterday, but I have missed it a lot. <laughs> yeah, we've been so busy. I mean, uh, we've got a film date uh, a shoot set for uh, November 16 and 17. We've got an exciting new director um, because Christina Borgeson had had to back off from the from the uh, her responsibilities. She's got two full time jobs as paid as a paid podcaster. It's uh, awesome for her, and she even had to let go of her position uh, as board member on the lawyers committee. Um, so uh, that is all exciting. There's lots of exciting news coming up about the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. Uh, my partner with the our partner uh, creating this film. And uh, I'm looking forward to telling you more about Michelle Lastella uh, from Italy and Miami, a seasoned director, actor. He'll be working with us closely on this film. Very exciting. Gail, what have you been up to? Goodness. Well, a lot going on in the personal life, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> it's been a really busy for us ever since, well, it always has been the past year, but with the 9-11 anniversary, our 9-11 Truth Film Festival, um, a lot of you were able to join us for that. That's still available, right? The archive for that. And we have um, had some, boy, a whole flood of interviews for Richard around 9-11, I think we had like, gosh, it was like over 22 plus interviews. Yeah, an incredible like- year for interviews. We haven't, we <laughs> yeah. haven't been this busy ever in, in, in uh, during this season, the 9-11 truth season, September. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Yes. Oh, just that it has been really, really busy. And there's been a couple of really a lot larger uh, interviews you had with Stu Peters. That was a really large uh viewer listener base and then mm-hmm. you know so along with all the interviews we had that uh back to back as soon as we were done with the 9-11 film festival we were catching a red-eye flight to miami florida or for fort lauderdale patrick bet david of yes. value attainment uh, it, it had a half a million views gail mm-hmm. and and then youtube took it down why supposedly for hate speech. (laughs) How about that? I didn't say anything hateful. I never do. No, no. Uh, I'm actually a nice guy once you get to know me. (laughs) True. But um, 
yeah, I, I, I want you to, um, uh, help me introduce David and, and let people know how, after that, how they can get their questions answered. Uh, we were going to stream on Rockfin, but I'm, I had a technical difficulty there, but we're streaming on Rumble and YouTube at uh, Richard Gage 911 WTC. That's our new YouTube channel for however long it lasts. Richard Gage 911 WTC. And oh, regarding the film, you mentioned the film festival. Mm-hmm. That film festival, Gail, was an incredible success. We raised uh, about seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars for the film series "9/11 Crime Scene to Courtroom" that mm-hmm. we are filming in November in D- in Washington D.C. And um, I wasn't going to say you can still donate uh, because we're 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 fundraising for part two of the film already, which is the Twin Towers. Part one is the World Trade Center Seven. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and you can have a, a coffee clutch with Gail and I, if you'd like to make um, a sizable donation, you'll see what that's all about over on our website, which is richardgage911.org. And you can uh, watch Gail and I over there talk, uh, introduce the film festival and all of our guest uh, speakers and films on that. What was your favorite part about all of that, Gail? Um, well, I love the fact that it was uh, really a tribute to David Ray Griffin, which I just thought was so special. And mm-hmm. also we're able to honor Graham McQueen. Both of those gentlemen are going through some serious health health issues. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was really beautiful, the way it was focused and centered around a tribute to him. And of course, James Corbett was awesome. James Corbett of the Corbett Report premiering the part three of his False Flags, The Secret History of Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda. So yeah, it was just, it was so well done. I was really proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And we got a lot of great feedback too. So mm-hmm. you check that out uh, on our website, richardgage911.org. Regarding our wonderful um, guest today, uh, we have the incredible uh, physics and math teacher, David Chandler. The simple physics of 9-11. He's back. And we're going to have easy lessons drawn from the destruction of the World Trade Center skyscrapers today. Uh, A tragic uh, historical uh, catastrophe that we are going to start to unlock uh, piece by piece, starting with the simple science of 9-11. He's best known for his measurements demonstrating the absolute freefall of World Trade Center Building 7, proving that NIST claims about the building were false. His work forced NIST to correct their final report to admit that the building came down in free fall, even though they continued to deny its very clear implications. David has authored and co-authored a number of scientific papers himself related to 9-11, including Destruction of the World Trade Center North Tower and Fundamental Physics. He's also created a large number of videos analyzing various moving components in the World Trade Center towers, including the ones he custom made for my 9-11 Blueprint for Truth, the presentation that I've given all around the world about 650 times now. He's a central part of that presentation. His videos are free to watch uh, now on his website, uh, 911speakout.org. 
where he maintains a website hosting not only his work, but in collaboration with several others like uh, John Cole, uh, Wayne Costa, and others. David has earned a bachelor's degree in physics from Harvey Mudd College, a master's degree in education from Claremont Graduate University, and another graduate degree from in mathematics from California Polytechnic University. So David can share with us, by the way, since he's a graduate degree in mathematics, um, how many uh, planes does it take to bring down three towers? You would think it would be three. He's going to educate us otherwise today. A few years ago, he retired from 35 years of teaching physics and mathematics at high school levels. Since about 2007, he's been active as a researcher with the science wing of the 9-11 Truth Movement. For a number of years, he worked directly with architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and serving with me on the board of directors over at that organization. Uh, we both moved on, uh, if you didn't realize that. Uh, now I, myself included, I'm the former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. I'm now working full-time with Gail, uh, and uh, we're loving it. We're getting into all kinds of uh, interesting topics with experts in and around the 9-11 Truth movement. Right, Gail? Yes, we are. What it's what awesome. what uh, what's the danger most dangerous uh, uh, sand 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 uh, what do you call that is it sand swamp what do you call that there's a word what? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what you're quick referring sand. to quicksand uh, what's the quicksand we're uh, we're uh, most uh, careful about. Well, censorship. So we have to be careful not to use certain words about the disease going around that nobody wants. And no, that one, cure. that was the one I was nobody, to. The cure that doesn't work. Gail, um, um, let, let's bring on our guest and then you can share with everybody how they can ask their questions. Uh, this is uh, Mr. David Chandler. Hello, David. Hi, Hello. David. <laughs> Are you hearing me all right? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Yeah, we, we've been having some fun, uh, David and I, getting our technology uh, zeroed in. And If you're uh, a masochist, you could consider it fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But, uh, David, before we get going here, uh, let's have Gail let say hi to you, first of all. Yeah, I did say hi. Hi, David. Oh, good. Well, uh, what, uh, Gail, what? Um, yes, how do we go about getting those questions? do that. Yeah. Yes. So on the whatever video or social media platform you are viewing from, whether it's Facebook or uh, the YouTube WTC, Richard Gage 911 WTC, or I believe Twitter, you can just go where the comments are and ask your questions there because this StreamYard platform brings those questions over and I can ask them of our guest, David. So which we'll do at the end of the podcast. So during the podcast, please try to go ahead and think up some great questions, and we'll get those to David at the end. Well, rather perfect, then. Thank you, and we'll let you go do your great work, and we'll catch up with you soon, uh, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much there, dear. There she goes. David. Hey, when did you first get involved? I mean, first things first, uh, with regarding uh, when did you have questions about what really happened at the World Trade Center? How did that go for you? 
Say it again. Uh, when did, did when did when you start asking questions about the World Trade Center, having doubts about the official narrative? I think it's when the the buildings started collapsing. It was like I had some initial questions. I was I actually was teaching that day. I got up that morning and I I checked in my email before I went to school and I saw, uh, you know, the, the North Tower on fire. And so I woke up my wife and said, better put the TV on. It's going to be a big news day. And so then I went to school and my very first words out of my mouth, there was a a teacher who's sort of like-minded politically and so forth with me. And I said, well, looks like the chickens have come home to roost. But then I proceeded to teach. I I don't really want to set aside the teaching just to let's have a watch the television kind of a day. So I didn't do that. But then as we were into the, into my first period class, this kid comes in the hallway and opens the door and says, a building fell down and things like that. And then a little bit later, the other building fell down and that was rather anomalous. So I basically uh, started looking at what was going on that evening. And I was just really curious how this could be. And I what I didn't have any hypotheses to work on or anything. I just, that was my initial uh, thing. But uh, then the Nova show came on, um, I guess how the towers fell or something like that. I forget the name of it. But, um, you know, I was trying to give a, an explanation for everything. And I thought, oh, okay. I didn't really grapple with it critically. I just sort of was curious and I was, anyway, so they uh, brought up what supposedly was information about the structure of the building, which was totally bogus, it turns out. But um, anyway, so I didn't really get into critically looking at this until I've been trying to reconstruct if it's 2006 or 2007, I think it's 2006. Um, I was hearing about, that there are people who are saying there were explosives planted in the buildings. And I said, well, show me. Uh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how much credibility to give to all that. So I just sort of so became aware and became conscious of it. And, um, but turned the tide for my involvement was my sister went to a conference that, um, up in Santa Barbara. She's actually friends with David Ray Griffin's wife. Uh, and um, oh. I'm not sure what the connection was, if it any, anything, but she went to this conference and then she brought me a DVD and some books and things like that and said, you got to look into this. So I put the DVD in and the thing that caught my attention, if I may go forward in, this slideshow is, is massacred because uh, we didn't get the sound to work the way we wanted it. Okay, I want to show just the beginning of this without sound. If you can uh, show my PowerPoint for a minute. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks so much. So this view of the North Tower coming down oh. was the thing that caught my initial attention. I'm not going to play this whole thing here, but I'm going to uh, but basically, here's the North Tower. You can tell us the North Tower because of the mast on top. You can also tell us the North Tower because the South Tower is long gone, and it, the North Tower is the last one to fall. Yeah. But uh, so this is the World Financial Center across the street, and here's Building Seven in the foreground. But let's just play the beginning of this. 
and I'll show you. How, I don't know if you can hear any sound or not. Can you? Yeah, you have to turn your volume up all the way, everybody. Okay, the sound isn't critical at this point. I'm just going to talk over it. Okay. Uh -oh, what just happened? I'm going to play that again. Uh, I hit the wrong button here. Look at that uh, mushroom. And uh-oh, how can I? How can I pause it? I was trying. Uh -oh. You didn't get close enough on the but pause button. It so advanced. I guess. Slow. I'm going to try and just forward. Okay, I can just uh, scroll it like this. Look at that. Look at how spread the debris cloud goes. That's what caught my attention. Oh, that was the first clue. That huh? was the very first thing on that day really one. Got me locked into looking at this stuff. Is well, how in the world are you having a collapse that's spreading stuff that broadly? And this isn't just dust. This is heavy components. All right. And yeah. in particular, if you, I don't know, boy. Well, what happened to me? Uh, well, I mean, you're sitting there being suspicious about what you're seeing. They're telling you it's a a collapse, but you're seeing a set of mushroom explosions. And I'm just going, oh, my God, I'm just kind of ducking inside myself saying this isn't happening. I'm going into a state of shock. Congratulations, David. You you came out of that uh, that fear propaganda. We, we well, were. I was I was curious. And look at that. So look at that thing that looks like it's across the street to the right. I can't move my I have to keep my cursor yeah. on this button i can't just get it to pause properly i'm not sure why no, no that helps when it's moving yeah yeah but anyway see that thing going over there yeah so it looks like it's about to hit the world financial center look that way actually it's uh going in behind what it's going between the buildings it turns out okay uh but uh it just blew my mind how fast that had to be going and i said how fast is that going uh-huh so what i did is i literally took out a ruler and freeze frame my way through this video. And I looked up the dimensions, like the width of the building and so forth on uh, the internet to get some uh, calibration. And I estimated simply on the television screen with a ruler, uh, the speed that this thing had to be going. Wow. And you can compare how, fa how fast it's going by, you know how fast it's coming down as far oh. as the maximum, anyway, it would be uh, free fall, but uh, I mean, as far as the chunk, but uh, that same amount of time is how far. Anyway, the whole thing is I figured out that it was going about 60 miles an hour. Wow. And that was the thing that caught my attention. So just seeing that spread and seeing that this stuff is being thrown horizontally out of the building. You can just see it just sort of pushing sideways out of there. Yeah, at first it's at going 60 horizontal. miles an hour. Wow. Or close to it, it turns out. Okay, so since then, let me, I think this is the, okay, if I continue in this, um, you know, if I had uh, sound, we would play it. But I went through it, and I was here, I'm talking about the, the size of the wall units. Each of these things is several tons. Depends on the height in the building because uh, they get thinner as they get higher. But on the order of several tons, like four tons was what I estimated for some of them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, and then you 
Uh, look at this and notice that piece. What I did was I had a tool at the time uh, that I used in my physics teaching called Physics Toolkit. I've since then replaced it with a much more flexible tool called Tracker. And if you oh. want to find it, it's this free open source. You can download it and play with it yourself. It's called Tracker, but you'll never find it if you just search for Tracker. It's oh. part of the open source physics project. Open so source. You put in open source physics and tracker. And I have a link to that on my website, 911speakout.org. I've links to everything there. But anyway, uh, I basic you can basically uh, get uh, positions marked on the video, which then you can bring into a graph, and then the slope of the graph, if you plot velocity versus time, uh, you can well, excuse me, this one is position versus time, X versus T. You see on the left there, it says X. Yeah. That's how so far horizontally it's going. X is the horizontal position. Yes, and T is time. And so uh, distance over time gives you speed. And so from the slope of the line, you get the speed. And so here it's like 25 meters per second, which you can convert. It's about 55 miles an hour, 50-something oh. miles per hour. I forget the exact number. But it's up close to what I originally had estimated. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so then. Um, yep. Guys, this is a lot easier to see if you go full screen on it, too, if you're not already. Okay. And by yeah. the way, I have all these videos. If you go to my website, 911speakout.org, and go to the, I have tabs, up the tab there for myself, for John Cole, for Wayne Costi, Frank Legg, and so forth. Um so you can pick the, if you pick the David Chandler series, you can go down and you can find this video and listen to it in full audio. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so there's that. And then as I, I lost my cursor. I don't know. Yeah, I see it. It's All there. Right. I know, but I just can't see it to manipulate. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. And so then you got, uh, here's, oh, this was the original physics toolkit. That was limited in resolution. You could only go up to 640 by 480. Oh. I mean, it was just a really uh, limited kind of a tool. And so it was really good when I could uh, get something better than that. And then here's the South Tower, and there's something over there being thrown outside the debris cloud. And I estimated the speed of that. This is the same piece on a different video and you could actually estimate the speed it was about 45 miles an hour well let me make yeah. a point here david because yeah. we get people saying hey this is just the the sides of the tower peeling off but what you've shown here is that's not the case for several of these certainly this one in particular this is a freely flying structural steel yeah. section now, this one right here is uh, heading towards, this is probably one of the things that hit the uh, Building 7. But uh, this one I clocked at uh, upward, it was about 76, or I can't remember the exact number, upper 70 mile an hour range. Okay. Now, sure and you can see that it's, uh, if you look at this and zoom in a bit, you can actually see some structure to that little thing on the end of that streamer, uh, that it's actually probably a couple of wall units uh, linked together somehow. Uh, anyway, right. so but they start out horizontal. Right. Show that uh, if we go back a couple of wanna, frames. Wanna, I mean, right, that's here. incredible. It's already to just to get to the World Trade Center. That's a football field in length. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm just going to play this from this point and. Are you hearing that, by the way? Yeah, you have to turn up your volume, everybody. Okay, here it goes. Rick Siegel took that picture and his camera was moving all over the place. So I went through and registered the frames manually, frame by frame. And then I had to go through a two-stage process to calibrate it. But I got all that sort of figured out. Look at the frame now. I've stabilized the motion of the actual item. And uh, then I went ahead and there's the, that's the position versus time again. So the slope there is the speed. Uh, and Well, the slope is the speed because it's position versus, position time. versus time. Can you explain that just a little bit? Well, uh, velocity, miles per hour, right? Yes, Feet miles is, is distance. Per second, whatever. Hour is time. Distance yeah. versus so it's a time. distance divided by a time gives you a speed, right? So the position tells us the 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 uh, the distance. Far over, yeah. And then I had to calibrate that by taking things in the picture that are of known dimensions and so forth. So yeah, the building's two hundred seven feet wide, for instance. Okay, and then uh, figure out the angle and everything else. Anyway, so I figured that out. And uh, so this thing was coming at a pretty high speed. So anyway, this is just uh, going, this particular video is going back and refining the measurements I did early on. Uh -huh. So this is some of my very first measurements. And this is um, uh, doing this um, uh, re-measuring. I wanted to come back to this one just briefly. This was my very first estimate. Like I read... Uh, on somebody's website, that there is a chunk thrown 600 feet. Okay? So I yep. said, how fast would it have to go to go 600 feet? Well, it depends on how far it's falling. Well, let me prove falling. that point first. Um, what? The reason, it, 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 I think it was on my website, is because several of these pieces destroyed the winter gardens right. at the World Financial Center, which is 600 feet uh, yeah. from the tower. Right. Uh, and, and so th that's, that's provable. Okay. So I got that measurement. And so, uh, you know, if I don't know what part of the building that thing came from, I just did a contingent type of measurement say, okay, let's assume it's at various heights and see how fast it would have to go to be able to reach that far by the time it hits the ground. You see? Yeah. So I just did this calculation I'm going to go to where it starts, all right? And so, um, all right. So, um, so depending on the height, you have to recompute the, the speed. And the lower it started, the faster it would have to go because it has to get that far before it hits the ground, right? Yeah. So I just did a, a speed as a function of height type of calculation. And way up here where it looks like it came from, it's, again, it says around 50-something miles an hour. Right. You know? So uh, anyway, that was my actual thing. You have something very similar to this in your uh, in Blueprint for Truth. And I thought when I first signed up for AE, I thought, oh, you're using my video and never gave me credit. Well, it turns <laughs> out it was not. Oh. Uh, Joseph Princiota 
did exactly the same thing that I did. Oh, really? And you're using his stuff. I mean, I've yeah, without credit, but also by the way, what? Without credit, also by I the don't way. Know. But I mean, so I so that's where you actually got it. But he and I apparently were thinking the same thoughts, and so huh. that was so. This was at the early stages when I didn't have any data to go on. You can take the little fragmentary data you have and see what kind of information you can squeeze out of it. I mean, that's sort of physicists do that all the time. Well, okay. what does that tell you, though? The, okay, it's coming out 50 miles an hour. Yeah, what, what's what going to cause that? That's the key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? So anyway, it it definitely tells you some very energetic event is occurring in the building in order to launch something horizontally at that kind of speed. And it's not just ordinary uh, things. Well, By the way, the idea that the walls peel out, that actually also happened. So there's that as well. I've seen so some of that. I've had a lot of conversations like with Tony Zambodi, and he sort of is one of the proponents of that idea. Excuse me. But uh, it's not just that. No, there's exactly. other stuff happening. Plus, what's pushing those walls out? Something had to basically unclip the walls and give them an outward push, right? And then uh, Wayne Costi has done some study about uh, how uh, how some of this process. So there's a number of people that have done some good work on uh, how this all was accomplished. But I'm just looking here at the phenomenon. I'm saying, okay, this is measurable. Okay, so. But wait, the question, of course, is what would be an example of the kind of energy that could do that? You did a calculation for me. Do you remember? Yeah, I did something about a, a cannonball of a certain mass. I just looked up a big, massive cannonball. And it would and uh, be, I can't remember the numbers, I, but it was, I got the uh, numbers. It, all right. It's a 200 pound cannonball uh, fired three miles away. And there are hundreds of these cannonballs in this case, which are exterior structural steel perimeter wall units. Mm -hmm weighing four tons. So, I mean, it, it's an explosive force is, is the real point here that right. an incredible explosive force. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that was sort of a no brainer here. It's just like, it's just sort of getting a sense of the magnitude of these kind of forces involved. And these speeds for me were an indication of that. Now, I don't consider these horizontal ejection speeds to be clincher arguments, but they're definitely suggestive of something going on. What I eventually got into, by the way, once I started doing these measurements, I have this tool, and you've heard the saying, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, yeah. And so I started taking everything that moved and measuring it just to see what might be an interesting outcome. Uh -huh. And I looked at uh, some of those little squibs, those little squibs, those squibs that are being shot out of there and measured a couple of those. And they're upwards of 100 miles an hour, for instance. But do you have shot a, out of the building? What? Do you want to you want to go to that slide? I don't have that slide. But oh. I'm just saying the I well, have. That's, an, that's, that's an one incredible of the early slide. I did. What? That's an incredible slide. And, and guess what? Which one are you thinking of? I have it. Um, you did measurements on these squibs. I can play it for everybody. Oh, go ahead. I mean, that was way, that's one of my really old ones. I didn't even have it in my current collection. Oh my go God. It, it is great stuff. Let's um, see if it's the same one that I'm. 
thinking of. Yeah, but I'm going to bring it up. So okay. tell, go ahead and, and uh, give me a little bit of time. I'll bring that up for you. Okay. Well, anyway, so basically speeds of things was the first thing I looked at. And then I got into looking at uh, the vertical motion. And uh, I measured the North Tower and the roof line of the North Tower. And I said, huh, people talk about it coming down at free fall. So I measured it, and it was not free fall. It's about two-thirds of free fall. So I said, oh, well, that one was wrong. And I just sort of set it aside. Okay. And then well, first I went of on. All, first of all, you have to tell us what free fall is. All right. Okay. Uh, here. Because. Uh, take your car keys. You take anything. And um, something's how, not going to. How about a coffee keys. cup? No. Don't try So here are your car keys. And you go, let go. Boom. That's free fall. Okay. In other words, free fall is motion under the influence of gravity alone. And so it's actually only free fall if you're free falling through a vacuum. Now, if you have a big, massive thing like a chunk of a building like that, uh, plowing through the air gives you a minimal resistance effect. So it's very close to free fall. Um, dropping a bowling ball, would uh, you'd get very close to free fall for a good long time. Dropping a ping pong ball, air resistance gets into the way. And so it doesn't come down as fast. But if you drop something where air resistance is negligible or non-existent, the acceleration you get, which means how fast it picks up speed. You know that it's not going a certain speed. Here it's going zero. Here it's going non-zero, and it sort of gradually increased along the way, right? Faster and faster. Every... Right. The rate of faster and faster, that's called acceleration. How fast it picks up speed is okay. what you mean by acceleration. So gravity is characterized by an acceleration. So everything you drop, whether it's small or large, as long as air resistance isn't in the way, will fall with the same acceleration. It's like um, one of the guys on the moon, I think Cernan or one of those guys, dropped a hammer and a feather, and boom, they hit the ground at the same time. Okay? So yeah. same idea, that as long as you don't have air resistance, it doesn't matter if it has the mass of a hammer or the mass of a feather, it will accelerate at the same rate. So it's a characteristic acceleration for all objects as long as you're falling under the influence of gravity alone. And so the point is, people have said the building came down at free fall. And no, it didn't. It came down at about 64% as far as the measurement I got. Now, I set that aside at first because okay. I thought, well, uh, that was some over ambitious claim. So, but eventually I was, by the way, I was working with AE and one of the big advantages of working with a group like that is collaboration. AE being architects, architects engineers for 9-11 Truth. Okay. So I got invited. I had done a number of these little video clips. I posted them on YouTube and so forth. And Justin Keogh, who was a board member, uh, he contacted me and said, how about you join our team? So I got invited onto the team, and then I got I started working with the video team, uh, along with Justin and Bob Fisher, and I guess a couple others coming and going. But uh, that was a really productive uh, collaboration, and everything I did, everything I did, got internally peer reviewed by these guys, and I learned more about video 
software and all that kind of thing. And Nate Flock was another guy that um, uh, Justin had uh, cultivated a relationship with. And he was a wonderful, um, like a librarian. Like he knew, every, he had collections of videos of pretty much everything associated with 9-11. And he yeah. knew what he had and he could put his hands on it. And if you asked him, I saw this little thing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, from 10 years ago. Within an hour, you know? Yeah. It was amazing. But uh, so I got high quality videos. I got I learned a lot about processing them and doing these um, little video clips and things like that. So that was a very productive time. And um, anyway, there you go. This is what. Yeah. So you were talking about squibs and. Um, yeah. I wanted to show people first of all what they are, and they'll and you'll see that here because David explains this very well. Uh, hopefully, you can hear my sound better okay, than we did earlier. Here, I'm measuring the ejection velocity of a squib on the east face of the South Tower. At this angle, there is foreshortening, but the calibration distance is foreshortened by the same proportion. Plotting horizontal position versus time, the slope indicates the ejection velocity which is 67 meters per second or 150 miles per hour. <laughs> How beautiful, <laughs> beautiful and short yeah, 150 miles per hour. I mean, how fast is that in, in practical terms? I mean, well, is, I think people know that you probably don't want to drive down the highway that speed. <laughs> and probably it's not going to be air pressure from this top piston pushing the rest of the building okay. down, which is. I have something to say about that. Yeah. Say that you do have the piston effect where the floors are squeezing together, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's going to blow out everything all around. It's not going to be a pinpoint, right? Like these here, for instance. That's right. Equidistant between the ends of the building. That's right. And the other thing there is then they say, oh, it's uh, air pressure down through the air conditioning ducts. Well, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to build a building like the World Trade Center, you want to make the windows strong enough that you could have a football player go full speed and crash into the window and just bounce back, right? Yeah, good. You're point. not going to want to have people falling out of the building on your watch, are you? Right. And so it's very strong. And so if you have enough pressure to push through a window, what's that going to do to the air conditioning duct? I mean, how can you possibly manage that amount of pressure to somehow blow this air through um, a very strong window like that? It's, it's totally ridiculous once you start thinking about it. And like so you no, said, it's none of those. Hmm? Yeah, it, it's if it's if it blows out any of these windows, it's going to blow all of them out. Not yeah. these pinpoint accurate violent ejections that we see here. Uh, and by the way, look at this picture right here. See these uh, squibs that are out down sort of lower here? Yeah. So once those squibs have come out, you know there's an opening there. And then up above, all of these uh, floors, in other words, you basically have a progression of stuff that's being blown out at various levels. Yeah. So once the, there is a blowout at all on a particular floor, you can't get a good seal at that floor. So you're, there's nothing more that's going to happen. And there's uh, some of the things I have. Can we go back to mine for a minute? Yeah, we can do Let that. Let me see if I can um, go down through. Okay. 
so look at this. This is the this is one. By the way, this was my most viewed ever uh, video. It's probably over a million views. Uh, it got reset. The the counter got reset, but it's up several hundred thousand a couple of different times. Incredible. But, uh, but look at these squibs coming out the side. Yeah. And there's more going on. Here, let me just. I just have this cycling. All right. I want. I just want to stick on this picture for a few minutes. May I? Yeah. Oh yeah. So look at right here. There's stuff blowing out, but then down lower, <laughs> down here, there's a yeah. whole continuous stream of stuff blowing out. If that stuff is blowing out lower down, and then as the collapse continues, there's more of these blowouts, there's no pressure. There's no possibility of building up pressure in those floors where the windows have already been blown out. Good right? point. That's not a good seal. Yeah. So there's no way that you can have this uh, massive amount of uh, ejection going on other than by some kind of an explosive process. Now, pl now play, that, play that so people can see there's additional ejections coming up right underneath. Look underneath. Well, it's right hard there. on this one to see it, but right down here at the bottom, you'll see it come around again. So yeah. look under the canopy down here at the bottom. You see that stuff blowing out? Yeah. Okay, I want to pause this. Look at this beam right here. Yeah. I just want to tell a story. I taught I was teaching at this time at a charter school in Central California. I worked with homeschool families. And so there's a lot of parents that were on the campus all the time. And there was this one father of this uh, uh, kid that I worked with who was in the military. He was in the reserves and he was expecting to get called back up for Iraq or whatever. But um he was in demolitions mm. and he was very conservative, Republican. You know, we were poles apart. I'm left of Bernie, by the way, but I mean, uh, <laughs> so, we're, you know, we were different. I, I don't, I don't mind dealing with people that are different from me. I just want to be able to talk so that we can interchange. But in any case, uh, uh, he, he thought this whole thing was conspiracy theory stuff. And I said, have you ever actually watched the building come down carefully? And he said, not really. So I said, okay, come here. And I took him in my office, closed the door, and I showed him this video. Did you lock it? No. <laughs> but I mean, it was like, you know, this video cycles. It goes through. You can see it on my website. You can go through it. Did you but, chain him to his seat? No, no, <laughs> no. He just watched it. And about the second or third time that it cycled through, he mm -hmm. said, that's a demolition. Oh, I mean, he completely, absolutely did a 180 degree flip just by watching this video without even listening to the commentary or me saying anything or whatever. Wow. And the thing I asked him, what was it about it that caught your attention? And he said, you see this thing? And he pointed out right now, it's starting to come down. You see this right here? Watch that thing come down. Look at that. See all this stuff streaming off of it? Yeah. He said, that's a, dem that's a demolition. He recognized it as characteristic of a demolition. And look at this. It's not like it's a beam that's being thrown through a bunch of dust, and the dust is sort of caught up in the turbulence behind the deep beam. No, this is voluminous white smoke being generated on the surface of this. Look over here. 
There's another one. See this thing? Look at all that white smoke just yep. piling up behind it. And it has the same profile as the beam. And there's more. I mean, there's, <laughs> these are all over the place. They are all over the place. What, what do you make of that? Well, it's, it's uh, explosive material that's somehow generating all this. Well, I mean, we now know that uh, there was nanothermite being used. And the byproducts or the end products of nanothermite, nanothermite is iron oxide with aluminum. The oxygen jumps to the aluminum. So now what do you have? Iron, which basically is molten because it's, it releases tremendous energy in the process in the form of heat. So you get iron that's exploded out and you get little droplets of iron, which solidify quickly. And you have iron spheres in the dust. Then the aluminum has the oxygen now. Aluminum oxide is a white powder. Yeah. It's white smoke. Okay. By the way, over here on the right, you see this panel. That's one of these uh, panels that's peeling out from the side. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, and it's still smoking like that. Yeah. Um, so it's stuff behind it that's, you know, it's all being pushed out. So iron oxide ash, isn't it? That's no, no, no. the byproduct? No. Excuse me. Iron, aluminum, aluminum. iron oxide and aluminum are the starting ingredients. Yeah. Iron, just iron, uh, in the form of molten iron, and they form droplets because it's explosive environment. So you have iron spheres, and then you have aluminum oxide, and it's the aluminum oxide that's this white smoke. Okay? So that's incredible. So basically, and then this is one of the things that, you know, a lot of people were confused about what's the source of all this smoke. Well, there's a fire going on. Well, this isn't the black smoke that's behind it. This is different, okay? And there's other things I did that caught Niels Herrett's attention, and he latched onto this. And um, so basically out of conversations, we were at the Toronto hearings, and we talked about this. And this was, uh, um, you know, it sort of transformed my understanding of what we're looking at here. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the effects of nanothermite um, doing its thing. Okay. Anyway, so this has a tremendous amount of stuff to view. Uh, some of which I commented on in that, uh, little original video I did. And some of it, I basically, um, came to later. Oh, okay. You're going to do another, uh, video to update. Well, your there's, I have other videos that comment on this same process, Good. but let me, let me try something else here. Yeah. Um, okay. This is the destruction of the South Tower. Okay. This video is from a helicopter that's to the south of the towers. And this is as the South Tower is coming down. It's the one on the right. Uh, whether you can hear it or not, just watch it one time through. And the top part of the tower, you can see that it's tipping off to the right. Okay. Yeah. So the top part of the South Tower did not crush straight down, it fell off to the right. And initially, it's sort of together. But look right there. It has decomposed into, it looks like a skeleton of its former self. Uh All right. This thing is decomposing as it falls. Now, a chunk of stuff in free fall, there's no internal stresses because everything is free to fall together, you know? And so this big chunk of the building should have just stayed together as a chunk and hit the ground, but it didn't. It just pulverized midair 
and only uh, this pulverized material hit the ground. So that was the one of the things. I have a number of things to observe in this. But notice these streamers down here at the bottom. Notice how they're shooting off ahead of the umbrella of debris. Let's go back a little bit. Watch this bottom line where uh, all the, the, the umbrella of debris is coming down. And look what look at those things shooting out. What's causing them to go out faster than freefall? In fact, they are going faster than freefall. So they're shooting downward faster yes. than they could fall. Yes. And I did some measurements on those. And that's another one I did. It's called Rockets at the World Trade Center. I have a video on that of my thing. Then that's okay. at 911speakout.org. Yeah. And then go to the David Chandler tab and go down and you'll find each of these. Look over here to the right. Here's another discovery I made that uh, nobody else had commented on, but it sure looked bizarre to me. So my earlier video entitled South Tower Smoking Gun. Okay, this is the follow-up video. Okay, see that little streamer right there? Yeah. You see how it did a right angle turn? Yeah, I play it again. So Let's go through a few times. Right there. Um, There it is. It's going to the right. It stops and it goes down. And notice that the smoke is streaming from the point where it made the turn. Yeah, right. So it's absolutely clear that that white stream of smoke is being generated by the chunk itself because it's following the chunk even as it goes through a right angle turn. And how yeah. can a falling object or an object that's thrown? How can it lose momentum and then gain a second direction of momentum? I mean, momentum's a vector. So if you, you had horizontal momentum that stopped and vertical momentum that took off from there. And so, so this that... is something doing something. So either there had to be a collision or an interaction or something. But what's it going to collide with? Everything around it is moving the same direction to the right. Well, it's not so there's colliding. nothing for it to collide with that would bring it to a sudden halt. So my, and then by the way, I found this same chunk on other videos. And so it's not a matter of it hitting something. It's a different kind of interaction. Namely, it's a composite body of some sort, which then explodes. And a part that you don't see, this just dark material is thrown forward and leaving this other chunk that's generating this white smoke, it sort of stops that and it falls straight down. Can incendiaries do that? Well, I mean, something had to explode the thing. It was like probably a couple of things connected together somehow and some sort of explosion. Uh, it's not, you know, nanothermite can act as an incendiary, but it can also act as an explosive. So, um, whether it's nanothermite or whether it's something else, that's not really what I'm looking at so much as um, the fact that something happened of an explosive nature that fragmented this piece and allowed the part that's generating smoke to drop straight down. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the momentum was carried off by something that we're not seeing in this video. Now, I'm going to 
go forward if I can. Oh, here's more talking about the same thing. Okay, watch this one. In this video, this is uh, taken from the Millennium Hotel. And the building is tipping toward the Millennium Hotel. That's to the east of the World Trade Center. Yeah. All right? And if this one is with audio, you're basically going to hear people screaming. But... Well, that's a good test of your audio. Did you hear anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay, but look what's happening now. Okay, this stuff right in here. See these things that are streaming to the right? Yeah. And, and I think it's this one right here. See this chunk? Follow that chunk. That's, I believe, the same piece that we were seeing a minute ago. Oh, okay. So it looks like it has a dark part to it and a light part to it. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. And it, it just a does a, a, a tumbles and so forth. Yeah, went down. And uh, so I think that's what's going on there. Did you measure the downward speed of these? But what I'm what I'm basically looking at in this this one is just that raw video. Let's go to the next one. Okay, this one is the same video except. I'm uh, going to focus in on some of those flying pieces of debris. Okay, so these pieces here that are flying, we're going to zoom in and watch what happens to those pieces. Which was the point of view from which this video was taken. Here we're zooming in on some of the individual pieces of debris. I'm going to just grab it and move it like this. You see that one piece that's boxed in? You yeah. see how it explodes in two? Yeah, it gets boom all of a sudden. Yeah, boom. You see that? Yeah. Uh, what's going to cause a freely falling chunk of stuff to suddenly uh, disintegrate like that? You have to have energy put in in order to make something like that happen. So this is getting broken apart by an explosive event of some kind. And then here's another piece uh, off to the side a little bit, following that. And there, see how it's sort of flaring? Yeah. And you see how it goes, you see the thing going, getting shot off to the left? Interesting. It's almost like there could be a charge left almost on those. Almost like there could be, yes. It hasn't gone off yet. That, well, there's that something that was with, happening with in there. With a wireless um, activation, it, it, okay. it just mistimed. One thing about nanothermite or thermite in general is it doesn't take a detonator per se to make it explode. What it takes is a critical temperature. So in other words, some, it basically, if you rise to a certain temperature, it'll make the reaction happen. All right. And so there are, so I don't quite understand why things have delayed reactions and all the rest, but there is apparently unexploded nanothermite is the way I'm interpreting it. It could be other material, who knows. But right there, you're seeing this thing got fragmented into, are you seeing my cursor? I think you are, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Left half also splits. Okay. What we're looking Boom. at here is happened again. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through. So once it goes to the left, 
Notice that the left piece also fragments. Yeah. There, see that? Yeah, look at that. Oh my gosh. They're going off in two different directions. Yeah. And then I do it one more time and here they are. And notice you can actually see that explosion in there. And then you can see smoke trails, one off to the left and one off to the right. You see that? Yeah, there was a bright light. I mean, right here, see that? And this? Observations, it is clear. White smoke. So in other words, there is stuff happening in the debris that is energetic. This is not a mechanical reaction to gravity. Okay, it has nothing to do with aviation fuel, which basically burned off in the first seven minutes, according to NIST. Yeah. All right. So here you have the only thing that's going on is there's other energetic material that's somehow being included in all of this debris that's going out, causing the debris itself uh, to continue to react. And by the way, it continues to react in the rubble pile which continued to burn even when they soaked it with water for weeks. They basically flooded the whole uh, basin there under the World Trade Center, and yet it continued to burn, continued to flare up. Uh, by the way, thermite can burn underwater because it has its own oxidizer. They use it for, you know, you take the Navy SEALs and stuff like that. That's one of the things they can use for underwater demolition stuff because you don't need to have air. You can have the oxygen that's part of the thermite material itself that's uh, where the reaction comes in, okay? Yeah, so, they couldn't uh, put it out. They put, a uh, lake of, they put a lake of water down there. Yeah. there so. And yet the, the pile continued to smolder and have flare-ups all the way to the end of 2001, into the start of the new year. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of stuff. You see some of the stuff happening as this stuff fragments. We're seeing more stuff happening uh, even beyond in the rubble pile and all that. I'm just going to, oh, here's one that I found that I don't know what to do with in my head. Watch <laughs> what happens here. No, really. We know that this is just about a minute before the South Tower falls, Okay. Uh -huh. You know, there's a stream of molten iron that comes down here. By the way, it's not molten steel. It's molten iron, iron from iron that's in the thermite. You know, it's a byproduct of reacting to thermite. You could say, well, maybe it's steel, but whatever. But it's, well, there's uh, no way for steel to melt. I well, mean. you need to heat it up and thermite can heat up the steel too. But uh, okay. so anyway, whether it's steel, whether it's iron, it's the same temperature and by the way, NIST tried to say, oh, that's the aluminum from the plane. No, it's not. Because uh, you can tell the temperature from the color. And by the color of this molten metal, it is the color temperature of molten iron. All right? So you know whether it is iron or whether it's not iron, it's the temperature of iron as it's melted. Okay? So that's happening here. But at the same time, Look what happens over here, hmm. which I had never noticed until recently. On the left, we are looking at the south tower of the world. South tower. Less than a minute Here's the stream. And look at that thing over there. Yeah, I think that was a body. I thought that at first. Is it? Oh, it's but it's not. Oh. 
almost the same size. No, I measured it. It's oh. 20 feet long. Oh. But it's going sideways at 25 miles an hour. How do you launch something, a chunk of a beam? Maybe it's just a piece of that aluminum cladding. I don't know what it is. Before the collapse. What? Before the collapse, it got launched. Before the collapse, it's launching horizontally at about 25 miles an hour. I never saw that. I never had seen it until, whoa, what's that? And I think somebody called it to my attention as somebody may be falling out of the building, but they're moving sideways too fast. That's its initial velocity. So its initial velocity is 25 miles yeah. an hour? it's horizontal velocity coming out. Wow, wow, wow. The color temperature. Good catch. Oh, there's a screaming time. Okay. So now it might be more than 20 feet, but I mean, because if it's at an angle, right? Yeah. But it's a, the minimum size is about 20 feet. So it's not a person, but uh, it's something and it's moving and you can tell the horizontal speed from tracking it. And I'm into tracking stuff, as you know. So this is definitely, uh, it's probably rotated into the direction of you. So the 20 is a minimal gotcha. estimate. Well, it's got uh, width to it too. So it's not just a, a beam. It may be an entire structural steel section, though, right? It could be. I don't know what it is. Those are a lot taller than 20 feet, for sure. But it's something worth pondering. Yeah. And I don't have a definite idea of what it is. I just know it's definitely, and here it is doing the measurement. Look at this. And there's the speed. You know. Anyway, so that was a, a, a little curiosity. Yeah, it is. Now tell me about this. I'm going to uh, share one thing with you, and then we'll okay. we'll come back. We can go back and forth, but you got to see this uh, and tell us this. This is the South Tower, and yeah. uh, what you see. This is a looped video. Yeah, and and you can see it's starting to lean to the right. But even yeah. as it's leaning, look at the left side. There. I know. Tell us what we're looking at. Well, a lot of stuff coming out above the impact point, obviously. Well, I comment on that, too. It's part of that other video. But, yeah, it's whether that might be smoke push, pushing out. Uh, something had to break the windows. Yeah. This is up above where all of the explosive stuff, uh, or at least if the if the plane hitting the building causing the fire is what's causing all this, it would be constrained to within a few floors where the plane hit the building. Uh -huh. And yet here we have all the way up. And there's other views of the top section of the South Tower that show the disintegration of the top section. Like, uh, in other words, if you follow, there's one view that's looking right up. It's like a still camera, but it's looking right up along. This is from the opposite side, but you're looking right up along the edge of the building and you can see it undergoes a couple of breaks. And you can see flashes that occur at these places. So it's something that is this demolishing the upper part of the building far above where the airplane had anything to do with anything. Yeah. And, and, and we're talking about a dozen independent explosive ejections is, is what I'm seeing. Likely. 
Now that's happening while the building's coming down. So that's what could explain the disintegration of this upper block oh, yeah. such that it doesn't continue fall acting like a solid, right? And falling right. off the side. Yeah. The whole top of the, I mean, the entire building was laced top to bottom with either some sort of energy. I just call it energetic material, explosives, uh -huh. incendiaries, some combination of the two, whatever. That's not my point. Point is, it's not gravity. It's not um, jet fuel. <laughs> yeah, by the way, NIST also said that 90% of the jet fuel burned up outside the building. Oh, yeah. The rest the was gone. Fireball like makes a big circus oh, display, yeah. doesn't it? The rest of it was just gone in 10 minutes. So yeah. we're talking about a few broken columns by the airplanes. Mm -hmm. And then we're talking about which allowed the building to continue standing in the case of the South Tower for an hour, in the case of the North Tower for about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, I would, and, and even NIST acknowledges it would have stood forever if it weren't for the fireproofing that they say got no. knocked off. You want to talk about that? No. <laughs> that's, <laughs> the fireproof somebody, that's a fabrication. They're grasping for straws. That does not right. explain it. Uh, Kevin Ryan, I believe, I'm not sure who all... But uh, they looked at this whole thing, uh, you know, the test, uh, see if you could dislodge enough fireproofing. And the fireproofing is only going to be immediately limited to where the plane went in. You're not going to blow off fireproofing across the whole building. It can't account for what's happening here above the impact point. And it no. can't account for what's happening lower where you have a completely strong, intact, cool building and if you were in there you'd hear some noise going on but it seems like it's a normal day so <sighs> the whole bottom part of the building is um uh, is not getting ready to fall apart yeah now can i play your collapse analysis because you it. did such an incredible job on this you Which spoke about it earlier okay we are here tracking the motion of the roof line at two-tenths second intervals through approximately 32 meters or eight stories. Can I pause a second? This graph shows the height of the roof line as a function of time. The analysis is simpler if we plot velocity as a function of time. On this kind of a graph, a straight line indicates constant acceleration. First note that there is a sudden onset of collapse as the point we are tracking makes a sudden transition from being at rest to an approximately constant downward acceleration. The slope of the graph indicates that the acceleration is 6.31 meters per second squared downward, which is 64% of free fall. What does that mean? Okay, I wanted to come back to this. Thank you for bringing it up again. Yeah. I, early on, I said I measured the downward acceleration of the roof line building one, North Tower. And it wasn't free fall, so I said, oh, well, that one didn't pan out. That was a false alarm. But then, actually, I must give you some credit. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, you asked me, could I get a good number for that? Because you want, you've been talking about how the North Tower didn't come down at free fall, but it came down near free fall. Yeah. And you wanted to quantify that and make sure you were telling the right thing. Okay. So yeah. you assigned me. And I was still working with AE. You said, can you go back and measure that? So I did. I went back and measured it again. And this time when I was looking at it, 
something different about this graph caught my attention. Yes, this is the acceleration, but notice that that's a straight acceleration line the whole way through. Huh. So it's uniformly accelerating, not at free fall, but it's still uniformly accelerating. And then I asked myself the question, because I'm a physics guy, what does that imply? Uh -huh. Well, so what I have to go from there is to do this little uh, trick that you do when you're analyzing problems in physics. You do what's called a free body diagram. So here's the chunk that's just the top section. You say, what are the forces acting on it? And how do I produce 64% of acceleration of gravity on this piece of stuff? Well, there's two main forces, gravity, resistance, right? I mean, yeah. I'm just oversimplifying it, but it's Down basically and up. Have resistance upward, yeah. gravity downward. And we know as a result that the acceleration is downward. And we know what the acceleration is. And Which so is what? Take the difference of the forces, so take that as the net force, is e, you know, F equals MA. That's the equation you use a lot in physics, right? Force so equals, equals mass, mass times acceleration. That's Newton's second law, okay? So F equals MA. And we know the acceleration. And uh, basically what we come up with is if you have... Uh, the acceleration is two-thirds of gravity, you can work backwards and compute that the resistance force is one-third of the weight of the chunk. Okay, so that top chunk that's falling, the upward force acting on it is one-third of its weight. All right? Okay. Roughly. I'm using rounded numbers. Yeah. It's 64, 100% minus 64%, so it's close to the Okay. Anyway, so then you look at it and say, um, what's the force that this top chunk is pushing on the bottom? Well, they're equal and opposite. Newton's third law. So the top chunk of the North Tower is pushing downward on the rest of the North Tower with only one third of its weight. Now, the North Tower has survived many decades supporting the entire weight. Yeah, that's for sure. How is it that one-third of the weight is able to crush it? Oh. It can't happen. And the other thing is the tower is designed to hold, and I think uh, another thing that is I do a lot of interacting with Tony Zamboni, all right? He came up with two different uh, numbers. For the core columns, he said they were strong enough to support, uh, they have a safety factor of three, and the perimeter columns had a safety factor of five. So somewhere between three and five times uh, the weight of the top tower is what the bottom section should have been able to support. So if you go from roughly three times uh, the weight of the top section, and you reduce it down to one-third of the weight of the top yeah, section, yeah. you're cutting it down basically by a factor of 10. Wow. So in other words, 90% yeah. of the resistance had to have been eliminated in order for this top section to fall. So the top section is not crushing what's under it. 
It can't possibly be crushing what's under it with one third of its weight. It's basically falling into pre-pulverized material where 90% of the strength has been eliminated. Wow. I get so it. So what this graph here shows us uh-huh. is that 90% of the uh, structural support underneath where it's falling has been eliminated, allowing the top section to fall into it. It's not crushing anything. Well, that's There's maybe that's why that's to slow it down to going two thirds of G, but it's not enough to. Uh, there's not enough interactive force between the two sections to do any damage. Uh huh. Is that why the South Tower can kind of go down and right itself again? Uh, also, it doesn't right itself again. There is conservation of angular momentum involved and all that. There uh-huh. are, you know, it sort of slides a little bit. Yep. As it's going down, there are some. It's and it's yep. all behind the smoke screen. But it's so losing it's hard its integrity. To, it's it's structural integrity. That's the only way that could happen, right? Well, you can't you can't violate conservation of angular momentum no matter what. But uh, <laughs> that's that's a law. <laughs> but anyway, so the top section of the South Tower was disintegrating, and we're seeing uh, that is uh, being pulverized. And you can actually see it as it disappears into the cloud and then reappears. It's coming out a shadow of its former self. So it's already been largely decomposed by the time it sort of tips over. Well, now, wait a minute, David. Um, There are statements that have been made about the rotation of the top of the South Tower that are wrong. So, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And that, that makes sense. But look at both of these towers. There's more steel here in the facade of these towers than glass. Yeah. So what you're telling us is that 90% of this gave way, not by being crushed by the top tower, right. but by explosives, something else. Yeah. Incendiary, shown, explosives, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and you've shown already a lot of proof about well, that's what right. happened so to the that. dynamics of the motions of the building goes a long way to prove demolition had to have happened. And guess I mean, what? Basically, as far as I'm concerned, it proves it. Speaking of Tony Zambodi, yeah. he's the one that showed us that columns, this is a yeah. column on the left that's buckling at its center. Yeah. Even after they buckle completely, they still provide a minimum of 25% of its strength, which is more than 10%, uh, well, way more. No, okay, well, whatever. The, all of these are estimates, but yeah, so just buckling the columns, the thing that, I, by the way, I want to call attention to what he did. He and a couple of other co-authors, they talked about um, how the, um, if you assume that the collapse got started like Bazant said it, you know, as his model had it doing. This is a Zdenek Bazant from Chicago Northwestern University who submitted a paper two days after 9 11, uh, completely obfuscated, complete obfuscated yes. paper, which became still today the theoretical basis for NIST's column failure theory. Go ahead. Okay. 
So basically, if you let the thing get started the way Byzant said, uh, they basically showed that the collapse would be arrested within one floor. Mm -hmm. So it was not uh, possible to sustain a, uh, an ongoing collapse. So that was Tony's work. So he's a structure, he's a mechanical engineer, I guess, but uh, he was looking at the structural components and that's kind of, he's looking at this at a different level. I'm just looking at the gross overall motion of the section and what that shows. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us about this experiment. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. I, I mean, mean, it's obvious. It's like, you know, this one, you get criticized for this, but it's because it's like, it's so, so, so obvious. Why are you bothering with it? No, it, it needs to be pointed out that if you drop this thing, it's going to, the one on the right is going to come down at free fall. The one on the left is definitely not going to come down at free fall or anything near it. It has to somehow get rid of that other stuff first. So this isn't, this is almost like a overstatement. It did not come down at free fall. Uh, it came down at, but it came down very, very uh, smoothly and easily and so forth. But I mean, but, if you uh, gave this problem on the left to a, a, a high school physics student, how, how would they approach it and what would the results likely be? Well, I mean, you can just look at it, point at it and say, no, that's not going to come down at free fall. Free or fall occurs when there are no forces apart from gravity. And as soon as that top thing hits the bottom section, there's a upward force on it. That's not free fall anymore. And so what if the bottom be coming down free fall, huh? What if the bottom part is uh, three to five times stronger than it needs to be to resist that top section? Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you can probably demolish a little bit at the top. Uh -huh. You know, you're going to crush a bunch of stuff, but as you crush it, you know, the crushing absorbs energy. In order for what you're doing here. Sorry, I'm trying to get to what you're talking about, but go ahead. We'll we'll get to that. In order to maintain free fall, all of the potential energy has to be converted into kinetic energy. Because that's where the speed of the free fall fall comes from. Potential energy is because you've lifted it up, it has energy. I think of it like loading a mousetrap, except this kind, you're lifting something against gravity, right? Okay. So you're putting this thing with high energy up here. As it falls, you're giving up potential energy. And as you give up potential energy, you're increasing its kinetic energy. Yeah. And if there's nothing in the way, then it will result in free fall. But if there is stuff in the way, if there's anything else going on, if this is crushing, pushing stuff around, breaking things, whatever. Each of those interactions involves energy. So some of that potential energy is going into these other things, crushing the concrete, throwing things at 50 miles an hour horizontally. All those things use energy. And so there's going to be less energy available for the downward motion. Yeah, and crushing. So you those. can't have free fall if you have other stuff going on at the same time. Well, that so brings us seven. The fact that Building Seven came down at absolute free fall for the first two and a half seconds shows that nothing else, not a, nothing, was even in the way. 
It had not only been weakened, it had been cleared out. Can you prove that? I just did. It's, well, I mean, it came down so at st- free fall. If it came, this is the argument. It came down at free fall. Well, if it came down at free fall, uh-huh. that means the only force acting is gravity. That means there's no other interactions occurring. Let's let's see it. Um, where did let's, I put it? All right. Let, let, let's here, let's here, see go. this. I have to find. Oh, here we are. Okay. I'm okay. from Missouri. Uh, let's come okay. back up to here. All right, here we go. Building seven, right? Uh huh. Now, this first one uh, is the view that's very commonly seen. I'm just going to go and slide it along. And notice here, uh, this is the, there's a penthouse here and there's another lower penthouse over here. Yeah. And east so this is the, the east penthouse on the left. And then there's like a little screen wall in between that's waving around. And then notice that the west penthouse collapses just as the whole building is sort of losing its integrity there. It looks like it's dipping, doesn't it? Well, the, yeah. Oh, oh, the building dips the in building. the middle. You see this here? Yeah. Yeah. You see that? That's yeah, an illusion, it. by the way. Hmm? Play, play it in real time so we can see it once in real time. All right. Here it goes real time. So the East Penthouse falls first. And then there's so like there's six, a delay. Six seconds. And the whole rest of it goes at once. Because um, NIST claims NIST, the whole rest of it goes at once. But NIST claims there was this for east to west, left to right, progressive collapse across. It didn't this happen. That's a fantasy. Football field size building. Yeah, that's literally 100 meters from here to here. <laughs> but the video shows that. That central structure, which sits over what the, the, the twenty core columns, mm-hmm. uh, on the, uh, to the right of the east penthouse, they must have all gone at once. Is that is okay. a conclusion we can draw? Okay. Safely? So let's look at this. Uh, this part of the building, which NIST claims somehow cleared up, they claim that somehow the interior of the building collapsed first, and that all we're seeing is just the hollow shell. As though that made a difference. It doesn't even make a difference, but whatever. They're trying to make it seem more natural mm-hmm. to a layman. All right. But even if it's just a hollow shell, it can't come down at free fall unless you remove all the rest of the support. Okay. So, anyway, it's an argument that is not cogent. But I want to say, show you something here. This was, um, and I'm going to forget his name. Um, Sham Sunder? Okay. All right. Right in here. No. Um, this fold in the building is not a vertical dip. And I'm going to show you that by going back to this view. And if I go through this, here's the East Penthouse going down. Watch for the dip. Let me see what happened here. Yeah, you want to play that in real time. Yeah, okay, I'll play it in real time. Look for the dip. It ought to be right about here. Yeah. Right about the left end of this windowy thing, whatever that is. Okay, there goes the East Penthouse. Look at this roof 
Should be. Look at this roof line. Good point. It's straight. It's level. What does that mean? Well, what does it tell you if when you're looking up at the building, it looks like a V? Uh-huh. If you look level, it looks level. It tells you that it's a fold that's acting this way. It's not a fold that's acting this way. It's a, not a dip in the roof line at all. I should I should take off the at all. There's What's a microscopic folded? component of that that is in, under magnification. You oh. can see a tiny bit of uh, other stuff going on that I'll show you in a minute. But basically, that large-scale V-shaped uh, thing that you were looking at in the other video is actually a sideways motion. Uh, actually, the, the left part of the building, this left whole part of the building comes toward the camera here. Uh, once it starts falling. Now, I don't know why. Anyway, that's trying to get this to, okay. Anyway, this thing is giving me, what just happened there? <laughs> Look at that. StreamYard does it again. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so this part of the building on the left actually moves toward us and uh but it's not it's not dipping down okay now what's interestingly why do we care huh why do we care what it's doing because nist used this camera or not do their measurements oh and froze for the first time today they chose a point right about in here somewhere we're asking him the right questions yeah. If he freezes up like that when you ask him a question. What? <laughs> if you freeze up like that when we ask you a question, we know we're asking the right question. Who froze uh, up? You froze up uh, for, for a minute there. I was okay, asking did you, you. Where did I freeze up? What did I? I was, I was asking you, why does it matter what it was doing or not doing up there at, at the par- top of the parapet? Because NIST used this view to do their measurements. Oh, okay. This is camera Our- three. This was what they'd used. And the point they used to do the measurement right here in the middle of the building, like near this edge right here. Okay. Uh-huh. They were tracking a point near here. A pixel. The point that is the most ambiguous of the bunch. Gotcha. I tracked this corner. Gotcha. This what, corner. What'd you find? Well, so here's me tracking it. Oh, by the way, I want to say something about this particular video. Notice everything looks tilted. This is the best video for measuring the motion of the building oh. because this was from a camera. It was set up, it was focused, and it was sort of tilted. But nobody was actually actively touching it. And they were fiddling with other cameras. This is up near the Empire State Building, somewhere up uptown like that. And so this camera ran untouched. And so if, if you track like a point here on this building over here, it shouldn't move, should it? In right. all of the other pictures uh, that uh, of this sort, you can track a stationary point and it'll move around a little bit. That's because the camera's moving along. In this one, it's dead, you know, it's, it doesn't move more than a few centimeters. I mean, it's really, really stable. Huh. 
So this is the most stable view and you get the best data. But look at this. Here is the graph, the preliminary graph. Look how it just turns a corner. Yeah. This is velocity versus time. And so the slope would tell you the acceleration. And I'm going to go to the next one. So it's standing this is taking that same data into what's called the data tool. What? It's standing still. It's standing still. Until all along. in time. This is time along the bottom. And then and what speed happens? Speed on the you know velocity vertically. And it okay. goes until here. And look at that. It literally changes from complete support to absolute free fall in the time of these points are two tenths of a second apart. So within a two tenth of a second interval, it transitioned from completely supported to zero support. How do you wow. do that with a fire induced collapse? And, 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 and okay, that's a huge question, but yeah. tell us also what NIST was claiming and what you showed yeah. them. They claimed that the building came down 40% slower than freefall. That's freefall. Look at that. See, can you see the numbers down here? No. Mine down here in the bottom says value. Maybe you can zoom in it's or something. Yeah, it says 9.8. Oh, I, that's a familiar number. It says minus 9.8 plus or minus 0.2. So that's the little uh, shaded area. That's like the error bars, so to speak. So any measurement has a little bit of uh, plus mm -hmm. or minus to it. Yeah. Look at that. It is within the measurement error of being dead on the money free fall. So if you put what you I call indistinguishable ball, from free fall. If you drop a bowling ball off to the side of building seven, it would go down that fast. Yeah. And the bowling fact, ball has nothing. If you nothing. drop the bowling ball just as it started down, it would it would look like it just sat there and you and the bowling ball would go down together. Yeah. Until you got about uh, 18 floors down and the bowling ball will continue. And at that point, the top section of the building starts to interact with what's under it. Uh -huh. So ultimately, uh, it crushes the last part of the building. But the first two and a half seconds, in fact, you can see it right here. Here's where I get my two and a half seconds. See that? Yep. That's on the 10 second mark measured from the start. That's an arbitrary starting point at the beginning of the video. Okay. Yep. yep. So this turns the corner at the 10 second mark. Here's 11, here's 12. This is about 12 and a half. That's two and a half seconds, isn't it? Yeah. Now this said two and a quarter seconds. What's that all about? <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can find that. Okay, oh, look at this. Here's NIS in their final report after this uh, little runaround at the technical briefing well, conference. After being confronted publicly by you and others. Uh, I want to say myself, but also Stephen Jones, yeah. his contribution to this is unappreciated, I think. Uh -huh. I want to comment on that before we go on. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, look at this. And they basically say this was for two and a quarter seconds. Why? Because they're stealing some of it for this imaginary fant fantasy land early stage that uh -huh. did not exist. And they actually, it looks to me like they falsified this data in here to give them a smooth transition. Uh -huh. Just because to the layman, a smooth transition looks more natural. Right. 
and they're trying to argue for a natural collapse. That smooth transition is irrelevant. As long as there is this period of absolute freefall, you know that during this entire section, there's zero resistance. So this is sufficient to make our point right here, even though they're trying to wave their hands and make it look to the layman on the street like there was some natural process producing this. And so by stealing off that quarter second, that's where that discrepancy comes in. You saw my measurement, right? There it is again. You can count it from here. There's one, two, two and a half seconds. Boom. They started earlier because they saw that pixel change color <laughs> somewhere. Okay, right? watch this one. Here is their timing. Okay. Now, one full circuit, one full revolution of the clock is one second. Oh, okay. There's 5.4 seconds, right? Okay. Now, let's go to the next frame. Here, I'm going to go backwards in slow motion. Watch the timing as the building rises from the ashes. Oh, it'll stop. You tell me when you would have started the stopwatch. Right there. And it's still going. (laughs) But look at the clock. They're saying it was in motion before it was in motion. That's when they started their clock. I mean, isn't that incredible? When that happens. Look at this. Now, watch when it's dead silent. Everything, every last bit of motion is quit, and it goes another full second beyond that. Move your cursor. Right. Stop. And yet their clock is still going. So they found out. What they they find? Three more seconds? No, a second and a half about. Second and a half. Wow, that's a great... So uh, they started way early to get their uh, measurement. Now, John Gross, his explanation, if we could hear the sound, we could hear him in his own words as he's going, you know, fidgeting around. Well, let's try. Huh? We could try? We could try it. But, um, all right, here's... Uh, my question, I don't know if you, this one was where uh, he answered mine. He basically threw out word salad in response. At the end, he eventually made our case for us. Uh, <laughs> he said, you know, it couldn't have been free fall because that's if there's no structure supporting it. And there was resistance here. There were, All these connections had to be broken and they, they didn't all happen simultaneously. In fact, he starts out by saying, if you look at the video, it takes 3.9 seconds to come down, but our model shows that it had to be 5.4 seconds. He's trusting his model above the empirical measurement. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen to it on when you can get onto my website and go listen to this. Listen to his actual words. I didn't even understand it all when I made my initial commentary, but uh, it's worse than what I attributed to him. So but, turn uh, your... Okay. Can you hear this? Turn your uh, speak your volume up ev- real high, yeah. everybody. Uh, any number of competent measurements using a variety of methods indicate the northwest corner of WTC seven fell with an acceleration within a few percent of the acceleration of gravity. Yet your report contradicts this, claiming forty percent slower than free fall based on a single data. Uh, how could such a publicly visible, easily measurable quantity be set aside? 
Can you no. repeat the question, please? <laughs> Could you repeat the question? Uh, any number of measurements using a variety of methods indicate the northwest corner WTC7 fell with an acceleration within a few percent of the acceleration of gravity. Yet the report contradicts this, claiming 40% slower than the peak freefall based on a single data point. Well, um, the First of all, um, here's the word salad. The loading mm -hmm. function that applies to the structure uh, at, uh, applies to applies to everybody, every all bodies on uh, on, uh, on on this particular uh, on this planet, not just um, uh, in, in ground zero. Uh, the uh, the So so far, he said absolutely nothing. But now the rest of this, pay attention. Difference in time between a free fall time. A free fall time would be an object that has no uh, structural components below it. Uh, and if you look at the analysis of the video, it shows that the time it takes for the 17 uh, for the, uh, the the roof line of the video to, to uh, collapse down the 17 floors that you can actually see in the video below, which you can't see anything in the video, is about uh, 3.9 seconds. Did you hear that? He's, he's acknowledging there's 3.9. I'm going to go back and restart it. He's acknowledging that it's a 3.9 second. Okay. Oh, this is the wrong one. Sorry. Ah, oh, this is so hard to deal with here. You got to go slower, I think. I'm trying to get back to this. Okay. All right. So he's acknowledging, if you look at the videos, it's 3.9 seconds. But their model shows it's 5.4 seconds. Listen to it. The function that applies to the structure uh, at, uh, applies, to, applies to everybody, every, all bodies on, uh, on, uh, on, on this particular, uh, on this planet, not just uh, uh, in, in ground zero. Uh, the, uh, the analysis showed there's a difference in time between a free fall time. A free fall time would be an object that has no uh, structural components below it. Uh, and if you look at the analysis of the video, it shows that the time it takes for the 17, uh, for the, uh, the, the roof line of the video to, to uh, collapse down the 17 floors that you can actually see in the video below, which you can't see anything in the video, is about uh, 3.9 seconds. What the analysis shows, and uh, the structural analysis shows, or the collapse analysis shows, it, that same time that it took for the structural model to come down from the roof line all the way for those 17 floors to disappear is um, 5.4 seconds. It's uh, about 1.5 seconds or roughly 40% more time for that free fall to happen. And that is not at all unusual because there, there was a structural resistance that was provided in this particular case. And you had, you had, you had a sequence of structural failures that had to take place and everything was not instantaneous. Did you catch that? Yeah. He literally says the video show comes down in 3.9 seconds. Their mm -hmm. model shows that it came down in 5.4 seconds. And the model is believable because of the curve manufactured. Free fall can't happen. No, <laughs> free fall can't happen under the assumption that it was a natural collapse. That's right.
So that's, but he, he's mangling it badly there. Now I wanted to call attention to uh, Stephen Jones thing because Stephen Jones asked a, what I considered at the time, I would wince at the question. It was such a simple, trivial question. But he got a significant response. So his question, I'm just going to say it here. His question was on page 40, whatever it was, of the report. It says, assuming the descent speed was constant. And he said, uh, measurements show, or people have observed, that it was accelerating. Why did you say, assuming the descent speed was constant? Mm -hmm. And he hands it off to John Gross, who makes a total idiot of himself. Our favorite villain. I know. This is how we get to know John Gross. It's one of the ways we get to know John Gross. I'm just going to go forward. Okay. Co-project leader of the NIST report. Yeah. Can you turn your volume up at all, David, on your end? Because we're, we're hearing it through the microphone. Does that do anything? No. Sorry. I can hear it. To turn it up. Video, uh, that uh, uh, time was uh, established from the uh, uh, video uh, by uh, a single frame um, uh, search of the of the uh, time. So that was down to one thirtieth of a second. Um, and then we did the same thing for when the top of the parapet uh, disappeared. Uh, we found that uh, that time to be uh, five point four seconds. So. Steve, can you repeat that question? What is it that is being asked here? So I'm going to just stop this. So they go back and forth, and at the end, he says, is there something we need to do here? And somebody reaches in, takes John Gross's mic, and said, I think we'll have to fix that in the final report. So the significance of this question is they committed on camera to alter the final report. And when they altered the final report, they came up with free fall. Yeah, they came up with this little graph. This was inserted in the final report in which they actually, that red line through there, it has the equation of the line right here. And see that 32.196 over there? Yeah. That's in feet per second squared instead of meters per second squared. That's the acceleration of gravity. So they're basically, this regression line through this part of the data is free fall. So, so this, this dr- literally admits free fall in the final report. And it was John, it was uh, Stephen Jones's uh, seemingly trivial question that got them to actually commit to making a change. Yeah. Somebody at NIST made a lot bigger change than I'm sure these guys had in mind. <laughs> All they would have had to do is change speed, acceleration. Yeah, but they right. didn't do that. They we went back lucky. and redid the analysis. They didn't. They didn't deny the original analysis. They basically completely leave that intact. But they put, put a, tried to put an overlay on it that literally contradicts it. So they make a two things that contradict each other stacked on top of each other. So what it's are they really admitting to here? That red line. No. Nope. Has a slope. What? 
the free fall? What 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 are they admitting to if they're acknowledging free fall? Well, the the physical implication of that is there's zero resistance. And what would that mean? That means that the resistance was blown out. They have columns that had to been eliminated. That's the only way. That's the only. I mean, how do you? Res- yeah, I mean, you're just drawing it out of me. Yes, <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah. So in order to get free fall, you need zero resistance. To get zero resistance, you have to eliminate anything that is resisting the fall. Okay. Well, I don't know if it gets any more obvious than that, but we're going to uh, we're going to bring on some questions here from our audience members. And by the way, just for the record, I had a whole bunch of other stuff that I never got to, but there you go. Oh, well, let's have another one. one. No, I'm not going to, no, let's go with what you just said. I'm just trying to say, uh, this was just sort of a seat of the pants approach to this. And there's a ton ton of other stuff. And if you want to see all of the different little bits and pieces, I have it all. Everything I've done is on that uh, 911speakout.org website. And it's all extraordinary. It's a shame we couldn't get to all of it, but uh, we we can do another show, David. Sure. And, and, and for Hopefully get the audio for, working next time. <laughs> and David will be in our film, 911 Crime Scene to Courtroom. He'll be one of our featured speakers, in this case, an expert on physics, uh, having taught college and high school physics for how many years? Well, from 1972 to 2012, which is about 40 years. There's a few years <laughs> in the middle that I was doing. I, I worked as a programmer at Honeywell and did some other stuff, but mostly it was see, during that he, time. He's going to be explaining to the grand jurors because we'll be giving, they've already been given 60 exhibits. And now, uh, and that's 60 exhibits of this kind of evidence. Uh, well, I should clarify that it's been given to the U S attorney who is by law required to give it to the, uh, grand jury. And that is the reason that we are pursuing this as far as we have to, to get, uh, justice to, to ensure that there is a grand jury investigation. Gail, are you back with us? I sure am. Yay. What's it like out there on social media? Are people asking questions? Are they fighting? Or oh, what's no. <laughs> They're behaving themselves. There's no fighting going on at all. Just some great side conversations. And yeah, we do have some questions, though. Well, great. What what platforms are they on now? Uh, YouTube and Facebook. So YouTube, our YouTube channel is Richard Gage 911 WTC, if you want to ask a question. And what is our Facebook? Richard Gage, 911. Richard Gage, 911. Is one. And then there's Richard Gage, comma, AIA. And then your personal one, which is just Richard don't, Gage. Don't tell them my personal. <laughs> well, hey, that's where most of the qu- comments are coming from, questions. Oh, okay. I'll tell them then. All right. <laughs> the personal one is Richard Gage just by itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. Well, what have you got for our esteemed guest? Yeah. All right. We have a question here from David. He says, NIST says the Twin Towers accelerated down. We know mass loses weight when accelerating down. NIST, frequently asked question 31, says the demand on the floors below increased during the collapse. Doesn't demand mean weight? 
And then a second part to that question, how can NIST have more demand with less weight? Okay, NIST is using a model that the top section is acting as a pile driver that's, uh, and as it goes down, it's accumulating one floor after another. So the size of that uh, pile driver is increasing as it falls, okay? <clears throat> However, that can't possibly be happening because I've measured it and uh, it is coming down at uniform downward acceleration, which means the force of interaction is less than the weight of the falling section itself. Now, normally, if you have something that you drop it, like you drop a hammer on your toe, that's gonna hurt more than if you set a hammer on your toe, right? Yeah. So when you drop a hammer, it's what there's an added component to the force that hurts your toe more, right? So that is uh, sort of an amplification, uh, a dynamic load is what the engineers would call that. What that actually is happening is the momentum, momentum is a key idea here. The momentum of the hammer, when it comes, when it is stops, you have a transfer of that momentum into an impulse and that creates a force over a period of time. So impulse is force times time. All right, so by, basically by losing momentum, you then have a force that's added to your just ordinary weight, okay? However, if it's continuing to accelerate, it's not losing momentum. The momentum in order to lose momentum, you'd have to slow down. So you have to have, uh, the way Tony puts it, uh, you have to have a jolt. When you have a hammer hit, I have a picture in some of my stuff. You have a hammer that hits a nail, guess what happens? The hammer drives the nail into the wood, but the nail drives the hammer to rest, which is why you have to pick it up and do it again. Okay, so uh, it goes both ways. And that wasn't happening. So this whole construct that NIST is uh, imagining flat out didn't happen that way. So I can't comment on how it didn't happen. It just flat out, we know it didn't happen because you can see the result. Thank you. I knew there was a reason we brought you here today. There's, there's something about observational reality that can check your theories, you know? Uh-huh. Called and, experiment? Uh, whether it's experimental or observational or whatever. John <laughs> Cole's always talking about, you got to agree with experiment. Well, yeah, well, the experiment's being done for you and just measure it and you can actually see what's happening. And what you can see is what NIST is talking about flat out did not happen. So that's that's the bottom line. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Next question from Gene. Question for Richard and David. From all you've learned about 9-11, would you both share your best guess as to how it was done? I like Niels Herrett's answer for how did uh, he answered. Uh, they said, how did they get all these explosives into the building? And he said, on pallets. <laughs> so, I mean, it's such a great answer because it shows a mechanism. If you put on a shirt 
that makes you look like a, an official worker and you have a card, you can swipe through security, you can haul your pallet of stuff, whatever that is, and put out orange cones and shut down an elevator shaft. You're invisible. That's your part of the urban landscape. Nobody pays any attention whatsoever. And you have the run of that whole elevator shaft for as long as you keep those cones out there. So, yeah, it was loaded up and it took, I mean, hey, from the time Bush came into office till September, that's nine months. You had a lot of time there. Well, it's interesting coincidence, David, that that nine month period is the period that Ace Elevator had the largest elevator modernization of in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the nine months prior to 9-11. Uh, look up Ace Elevator. <laughs> yeah, they're hard they're not to out there. Yeah, yeah, they're they're bankrupt, but they, it was a front company. They I came mean, out obvious. of nowhere. I mean, Otis Elevator had installed these elevators and, and and was maintaining them up until this contract. They should have had the contract. Uh, they were the experts. In fact, Ace Elevator had 85 employees in the building at the time of the collapse, and they fled. This was quite a scandal documented in USA Today. So obviously, we're, David, I think you and I are, well, I'll speak for myself. I, I don't see how this could not have been an inside operation. You, you have you have to have security in the most highly, got to be the most highly secure building in the world outside the Pentagon. There's, There's a lot of implications. I'm going to add some more implications to it. Uh-oh. Yes, you had to have access through security, right? Yep. You yep. had to have access to the demolition materials, which involved nanothermite, which was not on the open market. It's a military-grade material. Mm. So you had the military-industrial complex implicated there. Mm. You had coordination because whoever was doing this had to have been coordinating with these hijacker flights and all the rest. You had to coordinate with the military, the U.S. military, in order to not shoot down the planes to create diversion of whatever it took, and the FAA was somehow snookered into whatever that was. So who who orchestrated that is whatever. You had to have the PR people on the street on the day. You had the whole official story being pumped out within minutes. As the South Tower was hit, you had the Osama bin Laden already being mentioned on television. So you had to coordinate with all of these. You had to coordinate with the State Department and or CIA to get these hijackers into the country on their very questionable visas. That were They did not have their visa applications all filled out properly and so forth. So the coordination. And then what is, just think about this. NIST is an excellent research-based organization. It's part of the government. It's part of the Commerce Department, but it has a very, very strong reputation. I would have been pleased to get a job with NIST coming out of college. You know, that would have been a a high-end kind of a position to have. Um, But guess what? Who is going to uh, lean on NIST to get them to produce such a piece of trash as a report of this, like this? It is so so transparently fraudulent. So it had to have been someone 
there had to have been people involved that were upstream from NIST to lean on NIST or get the right people into this project within NIST is what it amounted to. Uh, and so that had to have been up. Uh, that's That puts it in the government. So, uh, you know, it's in the executive branch of the government. There's not too many steps from there. The White House steps is the way I say it. That uh, you, you have Bush, Cheney, all the rest of these guys. This impl- implicates them. Notice how they did not want to even have an investigation. For over a year, they didn't do anything. And it took all of these uh, surviving family members to lean on the government to even have uh, this original inquiry and so forth. So everything about this reeks of insider um, coordination. So it's not just who could have planted the explosives. They could have hired anybody to do that, you know. And so, yeah, I, I have no opinions on who had the expertise to do that other than the fact that this uh, this father that I mentioned earlier in this show that uh, at the charter school where I was, he said, now nah, you didn't need demolition companies. The best demolition experts in the world is the U.S. Army. I mean, yeah. that was his words. And the idea is it takes somebody with this kind of expertise. This was one of the biggest demolition jobs ever, times three. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm just saying uh, who did it is implied by all of these circumstances that had to come together. So that's why I say it's an inside job involving the U.S. government, the military, the military-industrial complex, the people like the city, like there's Giuliani, there's uh, the, I forget the name of the guy that owned the, or was the leaseholder of the buildings. Um, Larry Silverstein. Larry Silverstein, you know. All of these people had clearly some kind of a role to play in this. Yeah, I would agree with you, David. Okay, thank you. Quite right. an answer. This is from Gene. He says, please talk about angular momentum and the 23-degree tilt. There is no way the top block of floors rotating off the top of the lower, stronger building could happen without the lower floors being removed. Well, you basically tinker with the support and you can get the thing to tip. The point is, as it was tipping and you can figure out the rotation, uh, you have rotational momentum there. That's called angular momentum. And some people said, well, it started to tip and then it quit tipping and went down. Well, no, it didn't. It started tipping and then it and it was disintegrating as it was happening. So even though we're looking at the exterior surfaces of this thing, the interior was being pulverized as it was tipping because by the time it entered the cloud and emerged from the cloud, it was basically gone. So it was actively being demolished as it rotated. Um, anyway, that's my... There's, there's a lot of stuff we can't have direct access to knowing, such as what's going on inside that rotating chunk of uh, building there, um, other than the fact we saw the results just a few seconds later. And 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 let's look at a few seconds later, David. Uh, while we have this one up, I don't see what you have there. 
Oh. Oh. Yeah, look, look, uh, get StreamYard up all alone by itself, and you'll see what we're sharing here. Uh, I'm looking at StreamYard. I see a black outline of a thing. Oh. There's, there's no video, Richard. There's just the, our logo. Okay. Well, then forget well, the that. thing I showed where the building it was tipping toward the Millennium Hotel, that video uh, shows the disintegration uh, as it was falling. And there's other videos. Anyway, there's a bunch of videos that show that. I didn't include them all in this uh, presentation. Okay. Well, let me hold on, Gail, one second. Uh, mm -hmm. from, uh, are, are you able now to see this video here? It looks like it might be loading. Well, it was loading. It, yeah. I, see a, I see gray shadows. Gray shadows? It's the Building 7 logo. <laughs> I'm showing you the Twin Towers and you're seeing Building 7. Well, there's a 7 on it. Yeah, it's just our, our logo of the Building 7. It's just That's their gray. fun. All right. <laughs> What's the next question, Gail? All right. From David. Did Zdenek Bazant's calculations include all the tons of mass falling outside the footprint as if all that that mass was falling inside the footprint? footprint and adding to the downward demand. Oh. That's my understanding. So you, you and I discussed David, that this steel was ejected up to 600 feet in every direction. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a, the pile at the bottom of, of both either tower, you, you don't see uh, a, a 20, 40 or 60 story pile of steel. It's like, two stories so well, it's it spread was, out over a large area so how could it have been contributing to the crushing that's of right. this building if it's so spread out that's right that's it did i Next. freeze you again I, <laughs> yeah this I stuff was you. not all cumulatively right acting now, and we don't and by the way you were talking at the same time what were you trying to D say david yeah sorry i was talking because you froze could you start over at the answer to that question? okay i can't tell that i freeze i look like i'm very animated there <laughs> i know the problem okay um i don't know what i was saying <laughs> all right so the material fell outside the footprint uh, in order to get it to crush, you'd have to maintain that. Oh, I know what I was going to say is even if it did sort of more or less stay in line, it was uh, uh, broken up material. It was yeah. not a coherent, solid thing that can go clunk. It's going to go, broom. you know, it's a bunch of, it's going to be a rain of pieces rather than a solid, coherent impact. And that makes a difference? Yes, it makes a difference. So if you were to take, uh, in fact, I saw a little demo like this, but if you take a little bag of rice and tie it up so it's a little solid ball of rice and you drop it onto a scale, it's going to go, well, you're going to oh. see a big impulse on the scale, right? Oh. If you take that same amount of rice and pour it on, it's going to go, you know, it's not oh, coherent. Yeah. It's hardly going to move the needle. Yeah, yeah. you lose. So the in other words... You're not getting all of the impact coordinating together. Right. So um, that's another factor. Yeah, yeah. Powerful. 
Well, then the, the concrete, same thing. You've got 110 floors, each of which are an acre in size, thicknesses from four to eight inches thick. Wouldn't we expect to find uh, like a stack of 110 floors or maybe 50 of them or maybe 25 or 10? I mean, I don't see one down there. What do you think happened to the floors? It's all over New York. <laughs> this is powdered concrete, right? Yeah. Three inches thick from river to river across lower Manhattan. So, mm -hmm. by the way, if is that weight available to crush no. the building? No. It's not either, is it? Is there a physics problem here? Well, I mean, it's the obvious. All of this is obvious stuff. When you try to make up an answer to avoid the obvious conclusion, you're going to end up talking nonsense. And that's what NIST is doing. So uh, I, don't, I don't have a great deal of internal drive to analyze every little twist and turn of NIST's words because they don't make sense. <laughs> it's like literally like when Sean Sundara was responding to my question. It was word salad. He was saying, you know, this, you know, the idea that gravity is a force of acceleration. That's one of the things Sham Sunder said. What? You, you, you know, something of it. what do you, you mean have, about a force of acceleration? Every force acting on a mass will cause it to accelerate. That's not, I mean, he's just sort of throwing words together in meaningless sequences. Did you hear any of this in high school? From your well, students? <laughs> I mean, maybe from a student on a, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I made that kind of comment there. I said, hey, this is what I'd, I'm used to hearing on final exams when somebody hasn't even opened the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like throwing all this uh, verbiage together to sound technical, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever what's being said. So, yeah. no, it doesn't, it's hard to argue against that because there's no coherent, Nothing to push against, you know? Gotcha. It's not an argument. Good point. Gail? All right. We have time for more questions? I think so. Okay. This is David Chandler. We're going <laughs> to drill him for all he's worth here. Okay. From David, why do we use Newton, who said gravity is a downward force, when Einstein says there is no downward force? Einstein would say the structure that was pushing up had to be weakened because no force down. Nah, no. Einstein is completely consistent with Newton within the realm where the two are talking about the same subject matter. You have to get pretty darn extreme circumstances to get to where um, uh, you need relativity uh, to explain things that, that Newton's laws won't explain. So in our solar system, there's one little observation that if you look at the, okay, you know, each planet goes in an elliptical orbit around the sun, all right? And so that normally you would think of this ellipse as being oriented in a certain direction. And for Mercury, that ellipse sort of gradually drifts around. So it's called the precession of the parallax, the perihelion point for Mercury is going through this little drift. And if you try to account for how that's happening, it's off by a little tiny bit. And if you use relativity instead of Newton, you can account for that. Huh. I mean, that's how kind of obscure you have to get before 
there is any difference in the predictions. Now, there are other things like you take something that goes on, on repeatedly, like you take satellites for the GPS. They have to take relativity into account uh, because of the signals from there. You have time being distorted and all that. So there are some, there are some limited circumstances where uh, relativity will predict things differently than Newton. But in the vast majority, all of our um, basic, you know, planetary dynamics and everything else, and especially the stuff going on here on the Earth, most of this, it's Newton. Newton's laws are a very, very, very solid approximation to reality. And it's only when you push it to the very fringes that you get circumstances. You talk about black holes, neutron stars, the Big Bang, you need general relativity. Okay. Gotcha. You talk about the orbit of the planets around the sun, you need, Newton's all you need. So I'm just saying there are two different levels of approximation of reality. And, you know, it, hey, you, you, you solve uh, the gravitational equations uh, that Einstein came up with, and good luck. Go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I we mean, need it's to a there. totally different ball ball game in terms of the complexity of the calculations for no difference in outcome for the vast majority of the circumstances. So Newton's laws work very well for this kind of a situation. Totally well, appropriate. Well put. I think we have time for one more question, Gail. All right. This is from Kale. Which other country was manufacturing or buying this military-grade thermite? I have no inside information on that. Oh, I I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> now, now, well, you're, just, you're not a, guy, a bad guy. Okay, I want to say this. No hate speech. Okay, I want to say this. There's a lot of people that point their fingers at certain particular external entities and so forth that, they, you know, do I have a problem with saying they were involved? No, I don't, because it's very likely, it's very possible, whatever. There was involvement possibly by multiple uh, agencies from our country and other countries. Do I think they were behind the whole operation? No. For the, for the reasons that I recited earlier, that all of the inside connections with the military, the government, uh, and so forth, the military industrial complex, all of these orchestrated together are pointing very solidly at the U.S. Uh, government and government institutions being involved in this event. So were others involved? I'm sure. I mean, I'm not sure, but I mean, uh, it seems very likely. But uh, to it's the extent that I want to point at them instead of us, no, that's a diversion. It really is solidly pointing upstream within uh, the U.S. government. So that's that's how I approach that. And since I don't have good information at that level beyond speculation, in fact, I don't know if anybody has inf good information beyond speculation and a few little incidents like these people, you know, cheering the event and all that. Okay, let's say that those guys had some some role in this operation. It doesn't mean they were behind it. It means that they had some role in the operation. No problem. Yeah, quite likely, very possible, whatever. But um, is that worth 
uh, fragmenting the whole. I mean, you have to keep your focus on what the central um, situation is here. And what we see is uh, this is an inside job that, as far as I can see, all the arrows point upstream within uh, U.S. institutions. Okay, well, that was clear and concise and uh, and appreciated very much david um what what um how Without can using people... hate speech <laughs> oh yeah you might have avoided that one narrowly i don't know i i i get called i get i've had like nine videos taken down and three channels so it's it's painful and i didn't even say what you said uh i <laughs> What did so, I say that could possibly be questionable there? See, that's I was the saying it's not them. It's us. It's it's not them. That'll that'll get you taken out. I'm telling you. It's I've I've given up on on YouTube. What I do with my YouTubes now, we're streaming to YouTube, but we're going to cut it down to 5 minutes so they can't claim that there's anything in it. And then we'll we'll give links to Rockfin and Rumble uh when we when we get well, Rumble's up right now. But, Rockfin, we're going to have to put up again, and and Bitchute and Odyssey and others. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us uh, about Colorado nine eleven truth and uh, about nine uh, eleven speakout dot org. Nine eleven speakout dot org is my website, which then I got to seeing that John Cole was sort of coming at the same stuff I was, except from a different angle. And so I said, hey, how would you like to collaborate? And so he is involved there. And then I have a bunch of stuff. I was collaborating with Frank Legg. And so I have all, in fact, when Frank Legg died, I basically uh, inherited all of his website stuff. So I have his entire, his entire website is reproduced within 9-11 Speak Out under Great. his tab. And then I have Wayne Costi's um, Pentagon stuff there. And I have uh, Nate Flock, and then I have uh, Fran Schur, uh with all of her psychology of, um, you know, why good people uh, are silent or worse about 9-11. So that stuff's all there. Anyway, so it has grown to be more than just my own little bailiwick, but uh, it's not an official organization. It's just my work and a bunch of other related material that uh, is compatible. Yes. And so as far as Colorado 9-11 truth, that's Fran's thing. And um, I mean, it's not just Fran, but Fran and a few others uh, um, organized this some time ago. And um, uh, they they were one of their big coups was they were able to get uh, various uh, 9-11 videos shown on the local PBS station, the television yes. station here. <laughs> Including nine so, eleven blueprint for truth and I, yeah. So 9/11. you've been out to Denver for some of that stuff, right? Yeah, you bet. And Kevin and various other people have uh, come. Prior to COVID, it was like in person talks and things. They were quite active about having presentations. Oh, David Ray Griffin, his thing about um, he had a a, a couple Wonderful. of talks. I think and you he did froze up again. If we're talking simultaneously, that would be the oh. reason why. <laughs> Uh, were you, so was I uh, cut out? we're going to uh, give a big thanks uh, to David and and to Gail for being our uh, uh, s- stalwart 
uh, assistant and wonderful wife. Um, we'll have her here next time in person. Yes. Will be great. Uh, she's off site, uh, out of town almost. And um, uh, we'll get her back. David, you're back. You were frozen for a minute there, um, too. I can't Final even thoughts? tell. I don't have any clues that I'm, I guess, if we're talking over each other, that's the clue. Yeah, there's the clue. I'll go like this. Me. <laughs> I didn't see you freeze, oh. David. Okay. <laughs> All right, Gail, you think you did a decent job? Oh, you did an awesome job. Thank you so <laughs> much, say. David. You always do a wonderful job. You're you just make it so easy to understand, and yeah. You're well, I tell people you can wind me up, and I'll talk for a semester. <laughs> Yay! We love it. <laughs> we'll get you back, and we'll do it again. And don't miss yeah. everybody. The film 9/11 Crime Scene to Courtroom. David Chandler will be one of our featured experts, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll be interrogated by none other than Mick Harrison of the Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry. Good luck with that david he's acting as the prosecutor talking to the grand jury all right so you'll you'll you can handle it i just know you can oh yeah (laughs) all right thanks everybody uh for joining us i i'm so so very grateful and uh we'll catch up with you next time Thank you for joining us on yet another informative and soul-stirring episode of Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. We'll be on the air again next week with another very special guest in the 9-11 Truth Movement and beyond. Visit us at richardgage911.org where you can find our schedule, learn about the WTC evidence, and of course, sign up for our emails and support us. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. 